Thank you. Just want to ask you, Tom, we're going to read from Galatians chapter 5, just a, a passage that includes what we're going to use as a, a verse, a text for the year. I'm going to preach just on that text this morning. Uh, but just a wee bit of background, this is a situation where Paul's writing to the Galatians where some false teachers, commonly known as Judaizers, had come into the church and they were teaching basically that while faith in Jesus is important, yet faith in Jesus isn't enough, that trusting in the grace of God isn't enough, that faith isn't enough, that you have to add some other things on to that, particularly for them it was about circumcision and various other parts of the Jewish law. So that's what the, and Paul's basically responding to that and stating again his trust in the grace of God and in faith in the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So from verse 1 of Galatians 5, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let's just come and pray. Father, we come today and we come trusting again in your grace, trusting again in your love revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray today you'll help us to to see and understand how we may express that faith and love in a true way in our lives. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning as I, I share with you our verse for the year, I want to, to open this up by asking you a question that's, that's pretty deep and dark and searching on, on any day, never mind on a day like today. And that is, if everything you value in this world were to be stripped away from you, what would your life be about? What would be left? Basically, if you were to go through a, a job-like experience, What would your reaction to that be? Well, I've never been through an experience anything like Job's in any area of my life, but I have been through an experience where I felt badly let down by people who I loved and trusted. And for a while, it felt as if so much of that which I valued in life had been taken from me. I'm blowing up here. My sense of self-worth. Any degree of confidence that I had in myself as a person, as a a pastor, as a Christian. And that experience hurt me deeply and it literally devastated me. But I'll tell you what this experience did. Is it it made me realize that that my understanding of myself, that, that my security in life, 
ultimately lies in God's love for me. It's in how God sees me and how he values me. And that when I start to to look for my security in how people see me, in how they value me, how they rate me, when I start to do this, I've got big problems. And you know, as I went through this, this actually ended up as probably the most meaningful period, the most meaningful experience in my Christian life so far. I have to say that in my weakness and human frailty, I have to confess that it's still not one that I'd be eager to go through again. But our verse for this year, which is actually just part of Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This, I think, could legitimately be seen as certainly at least one expression of Christian living of the Christian life stripped back to the bone. When everything else is taken away, this stands at the core of what it means to actually be a Christian. But this is something that can be badly misunderstood. Certainly when we we come at this from the, the viewpoint that's common in our society today, in the cultural setting of our day, It definitely, certainly can. So then, faith can be about what you want most of all, with all your heart. And so faith is about focusing on that. And so when you get it, then that means you've exercised true faith. And when you don't get it, that means that your faith must in some way be defective. And love, love can be about being happy, about wanting everybody to be happy and doing everything you can, encouraging them to do whatever they can, whatever they want in order to achieve that happiness. But let me be very clear here. If we think that this is what faith expressing itself in love means, if we think this is the irreducible core of what living the Christian life is about, then we are way, way off target, I believe. We are seriously misunderstanding the whole nature and purpose of Christian living. For if we believe that us being kept protected and trouble-free, us getting all we want in this life and being able to enjoy it to the full, knowing complete and utter happiness and contentment, if this is what we think Christian living is about, should be about, and if our achievement of this is going to be the measure that we use during this coming year and the years to come in order to determine how actively God is at work in our lives, how effectively we are living the Christian life, then we are bound to be disappointed. And in addition, if during this year the storms of life blow hard upon us, then with these kind of shallow roots to our Christian life, we will not stand. We will not stand. Now during this past year, there have been times when I had cause to to reflect on this topic. That is, if my life in this world were to be 
truly devastated. If that which I count most precious in this life were to be taken from me, and contrary to the suspicions of some, I do not believe that this would be either my TV remote control or the latest book that I'm enjoying. But if that were to happen, how would I respond to that? How would, I, how would this affect me? And most importantly of all, where would I see God in this? What impact would this have on me, on my relationship with God, on my understanding of God? I want to say, if any of you think that I would go through this kind of experience, always H-A-P-P-Y, unshaken, unruffled, unmoved, then let me inform you, that would not be the case. If my life was devastated, I have no doubt that that would show and if any of you believe that that shouldn't be the case, then let me just be very clear, I totally disagree with that. For though we are Christians, we are still human beings. We're still creatures of flesh and bone, rooted for now in this world. And so for now, what happens in this world, what happens in this earthly life, does matter. And to pretend otherwise, I believe, is unhealthy, spiritually dangerous, and ultimately false. But let me tell you where I hope I would end up if I went through a real life-shattering experience. That is remembering, recognizing that we live in a world broken and torn by sin and the suffering sin brings. Remembering that it was man's choice, man's choice to sin, that it was my choice to sin, that let sin and evil run loose and that brought suffering into this world. And that though I am a Christian, I'm still a man, I'm still a sinner, and so cannot expect to avoid the repercussions of sin. I would remember that, but I hope also I would remember that Christ, that the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate demonstration of the infinite nature of God's love and of the totality of his victory over sin and suffering over all the powers of evil. Now sometimes, not always, perhaps not often, because of his love, by his power, God does sometimes deliver his people from their suffering in this world. But you know, what he always does is he stands by our side in our suffering. What he's always ready to do is carry us through. His love, his power carries us through as we turn to him, as we open our hearts to him. That's what he's ready to do, eager to do. And I hope that if my life ever is hit hard, that I would remember that. So that in some way, in my suffering, the glory of God might shine through. Okay then. So when we say that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. When we make this our church verse of the year, what are we saying? We've said something about what we don't think this means. But what, is it, what does it mean? What are we saying when we say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. 
Well, let's break it down. First, faith. What does Paul mean? What does the, the Bible mean when it talks about faith? Well, I think I've already shared with you what I believe is a good, simple, practical, working definition of faith. First shared with me by my good friend George Whelan when we were students at, at Spurgeon's together. He's gone on to, to train pastors to teach New Testament theology and particularly the theology of mission in New Zealand. While me, well, I'm here. But his definition of faith was that faith is trust that leads to obedience. Faith is trust that leads to obedience. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds accurate. I believe it is accurate in as far as it goes. But let me tell you here a story about a lady who was connected to the church at Peterhead while I was there. One day, this lady got a phone call from her bank telling her that they believed that her credit cards had been compromised and used fraudulently. They asked her to check her credit card that she had it and then to phone them back. She did this. She phoned them back and she was put through to their fraud department. And they asked her a number of, of different questions, got all different details from her and then told her that within an hour her card would be picked up by a motorbike courier, and that within two days, her new card would be delivered to her. Three days later, no new card. But when do things ever arrive on time? Unless they're sent by Amazon. But anyway, she phoned her bank. They didn't have a clue what she was talking about. She had been the victim of an elaborate fraud. And somewhere in the region of £20,000 had been taken from her account. She felt like a fool. She certainly wasn't. She was a sensible, highly intelligent woman. I mean, she'd been a teacher until her retirement. We all know how intelligent they are. But thankfully, thankfully, her bank refunded her money to her. But you see, this woman had had faith. She trusted. She had obeyed. However, her faith was misplaced. And because of that, it all went disastrously wrong. So while faith is trust that leads to obedience, yet biblically, there's also more to faith than that. And there needs to be more to our faith if we're going to be saved from getting things seriously wrong. I believe comments that are made by Leon Morris in his article on faith in the Tyndale Bible Dictionary point us in the right direction. This is what he says. He says, the verb faith is often followed by that, indicating that faith is concerned with facts. Then later he goes on, the characteristic construction for saving faith is that wherein the verb is followed by the preposition ice, into. Literally, this means to believe into. It denotes a faith which, so to speak, takes a man out of himself and puts him into Christ. Now, you see, put that together, and what it's telling us is that for faith to truly be Christian faith, biblical faith, saving faith, that it has to have content. 
that it has to be faith in the right thing, particularly in the right past. So Christian faith, then, is faith in an almighty God, in a God of absolute power, of infinite love, of total, blinding, holiness, purity, and so much more. A God who made us to love us, who made us to bless us, and made us that we might know him and that we might live for his glory. And though we chose sin rather than God, though we chose to reject him rather than walk in his ways, yet this God whose holiness will not allow him to overlook our sin, his love for us is such that in Christ, God becomes a man. And he lives in our sinful world. And then on the cross, he gives himself as the sin offering. He offers himself to pay the price of our sin. For there is a man. He hangs in our place. And there is God. He pays the price we could never pay. There he gives his perfect, sinless life to pay the price of all our sin. But that's not the end. For three days later, he rises from the dead, demonstrating his victory over death and sin and suffering and every other weapon of the powers of evil. You see, this is the God we are called to have faith in. This is the God through whom our faith brings us into relationship. So do you see then how incongruous it is to think that Christian faith is about focusing on what we want. That Christian faith should lead to us being safe and secure, protected and content. That just doesn't fit with the God we are called to have faith in. And it certainly doesn't fit with the Jesus Christ who lived a life of perfect faith and in whose footsteps we're called to seek to walk in. No, rather, faith is about seeking to live a life that lines up with the character of God, with the principles of God's character as they're revealed in the Bible. Faith is about seeking to act and to respond in situations in a way that fit with this God. And faith is about, as we do so, calling for God's presence to be with us, calling for his power to enable us. That is faith. Not all that there is to faith, but that is faith. So let's move on then. What about the second quality highlighted in this verse? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. That is that that this faith is supposed to, to lead to love, to lead to an attitude of love that is supposed to be demonstrated in acts of love. So what does this this look like then? This faith, this love that emerges from faith, that is an expression of faith. What does it look like? We know when we talk about God's love, what we, we usually focus on is that the unique distinctive quality of his love that makes it stand out from all others is that it is a love, not for the worthy, not for the deserving, not for the appreciative, for those who deserve to be loved, 
but rather above all, God loves and calls his people to love the unworthy, the unappreciative, those who are undeserving of love. With this quality of the love of God being so unique that the New Testament writer had to invent a new word for it, that famous agape word. You see, all of that is true. It's all true, but I want to concentrate on something slightly different with you now. To look more at what God's love is actually focused on achieving rather than on how it is expressed. So let me say that I believe that by his love, God above all wants to help his people to grow more and more into his character. He wants them to better by their lives reflect his glory. And we, by our love, we should actually be focused on doing the same. This is what our love should primarily be aimed towards, to help those that we love, to help those in the world around us, to grow into the character of God and better in some way to reflect the glory of God. But you see how different that is, to love as it's understood and defined so often in our society today. For love today, we're told, wants people to be happy. It should want people to feel good. And so we should allow them just to do whatever they want to do. We should allow them to be whatever they want to be, so long as they feel that that makes them happy. And to do otherwise, to say something that may upset them, well, that by definition makes you into a nasty, unloving person. Let me just suggest a scenario to you. You know somebody who's very highly strung and nervous, that kind of person. And one day you're out and you see that person about to step out in front of a double-decker bus. Now, you know that if you're to shout out and warn them, they're going to get a fright. But you also know, if I don't shout out, they won't get a fright, they won't be upset, No, they'll just be instantaneously smashed to pieces by a double-decker bus. Now, what do we think is the most loving thing to do here? Not to frighten them or upset them, or to save them from danger, to save their life. It's not really a difficult choice, is it? Or it doesn't seem to be. But it isn't our world today, I think. But you see, to be loving then, to be truly loving in a a truly Christian, Christ-like way won't always lead us into saying or even doing things that will make us popular and appreciated in our society. Now, often it will and often it should. For Christ-like love and compassion is very often something that is beautiful and attractive. But not always. For instance, just this week, I read about a family in the United States where the mother was originally a man, where the father was originally a woman, and where the two children, a boy and a girl, identify as the opposite sex. I want to say to you, my heart breaks for these people. And I imagine that they're lovely people with lots of great things in their lives and going on in their family. But to make them happy, to save causing them upset, Should I just say that everything is fine with that situation? 
Would that be the loving thing to do? That's what the world that was surrounded by says. But I cannot say that. I mean, I hate hurting people, but I cannot say that. And I'll tell you why, because I don't think their situation ties in with God's character. I don't think it best reflects God's glory, nor do I think that this is God's best for these individuals. So you see, putting this memory verse into practice in this coming year, living that life of faith that lines up with God's character as it's revealed in the Bible, Seeking to act and respond in situations, in ways, in faith that reflect God's character. Looking to live in love. Looking to live and act in ways and help those that we love. To grow into the character of God and to better reflect the glory of God. This is exciting. There's nothing on earth that matters more than this. There's no better way for you to invest your life than seeking to live in this way. And you know, sometimes people will respond to this. They'll appreciate this. They will appreciate you. But in the society we live in today, in this year to come, there may be times when to be a truly faithful, loving people, there may be times when we, by God, are called to say and do things that go against the tide of our culture. It's inevitable in the world we live in. Things that won't make us popular. Things that won't lead to us being appreciated. My prayer for us for this coming year is that God will ground us deep in true biblical faith and love and that he'll give us the courage always to stand for him. Let's come and pray together. Father, we want to be truly a people of faith and love. We want to be a people who just demonstrate your life in our lives, your love in our love. Lord, we pray, just speak to each one of us, show us how best we might do this. Just lead us more into that place where we reflect better your life and glory. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.